Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I'm a female leader in sports. I'm the general manager of a AAA baseball team in minor league baseball, and I'm the first woman to hold this title in nearly 20 years. And I'm here with the Leadership is Female podcast to make sure that this amount of time never goes by again before another woman leads. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here to interview successful women in sport to uncover opportunity, learn the tips, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes to get you to the top faster. Join me and my guests week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. I will lead her forward because leadership is female. On today's podcast, I interview Ray Cowder, a 17-year executive with Octagon, who last held the title of vice president. She worked on big brands, global activation, and five-star hospitality for clients around the world at sporting events and award shows. At the end of May of 2020, she was laid off due to the cancellation of sporting and hospitality events around the globe. During the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020, our industry, sports, and live entertainment is experiencing an unemployment rate of nearly 50%. I bring Ray's interview to you today because she has a poignant message. It's not just the lower level losing their jobs. It spans the entire hierarchy from pay cuts to furlough to layoff. So what's next? First, you'll hear from Ray about her career because... Sports and events will be back, and I want you to have the chance to learn from her. She'll tell you about what it's like to work in agency life and the opportunity that it brings. She'll also state or share her current mindset. She's finally taking time to rest. She's evaluating what she really wants and taking the time to evaluate opportunities. It's a long career on the road of hospitality and sports sponsorship activation. She's finally taking some time to take care of herself. Let's tune in to hear from Ray. I hope you find this episode as informative, empathetic, and encouraging as I did. Welcome to episode four of the Leadership is Female podcast. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast. Today, we are so fortunate to have Ray Cowder, who brings 20 years of hospitality experience to her 17-year career at Octagon. She was a key member in managing the largest hospitality program in motorsports, NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, and provides hands-on knowledge of motorsports management and negotiation, along with a unique attention to detail and the ability to remain calm under fire. She assisted on MasterCard's global hospitality team, where she activated high-level programs, including business sessions for the Asia-Pacific market in London and Dublin. Other successes include marquee events at the Super Bowl, Final Four, Grammy Awards, Latin Grammy Awards, UEFA Champions League Finals, Arnold Palmer Invitational, Tomorrowland, Brazil and Belgium, and Copa America. She focuses her efforts on on hosting, and they were divided between high wealth clients, priceless experiences, winners, and she oversaw the Latin American and Caribbean regions. In addition to working with MasterCard, she focused on sponsorship and contract negotiation for Allstate, in which she managed the hospitality for major sponsorship events, such as the Allstate Sugar Bowl and National Championship. She is currently the acting co-president of Women in Sports, or WISE, the Charlotte chapter, where she was a founding member. 
Ray holds a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Florida, where her focus was on journalism and telecommunication with an area of concentration in public relations, travel, and tourism. She is also fluent in Spanish. Welcome to the podcast, Ray. Thank you so much, Emily. That's um, a long list of events there. I feel, I feel ready to get back to work, you know? I'm like, okay, let's, let's be done with this pandemic. <laughs> I hear ya, and I know that we all feel that way, just anxious to get to the other side um, of this complete crisis in 2020. Now, I know I read your bio, but I would love to hear in your words who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so I grew up in Florida. Um, I grew up in a very small town in, in Florida, right in between Daytona Beach and St. Augustine, and I ended up, you know, going to the University of Florida. And when I went, when I first went to school, I was entirely on a totally different path. I thought I wanted to work in international business, and then I got there, and I was like, this is awful, I hate it, and then ended up at the College of Journalism, luckily for me, <laughs> and um, that sort of brought me down a completely different path. Um, when I was in college, I spent a lot of time um, working at the television station there. I worked for ABC Sports on the weekends for the football games. So I did a lot of production work and I, and I loved it so much. And then um, I ended up moving to Atlanta and then completely by accident ended up working at Atlanta Motor Speedway, which uh, was funny because I did grow up in this very small town next to Daytona, but yet I knew absolutely nothing about NASCAR. Um, and that's actually a, a pretty funny story, but we don't have time for that today. Um, but I learned my way and, and I, you know, learned everything I could about it and made lots of friends along the way and had a great time. And then um, later on, I went to work for another company called Action Performance. And then I found out that that was something that I didn't really care to do. And um, I sort of came running back to Atlanta and then I ended up working at an agency for a really good friend of mine and then went to and then found myself basically at Octagon after that. So I was doing agency work for a while and um, that's sort of how I ended up there at Octagon. That is awesome. Um, I love how um, I, I sort of share that with you. I thought I was going to go on one path when I entered college and ended up on another, um, but I, I think that's that's part of life is, is finding your way and finding your groove. You Absolutely. Had, you had a very successful career at Octagon and curiosity in the roles available in sports and events is something I want to bring the audience. Can you talk about your role at Octagon, including your day-to-day -day and event-to-event -event responsibilities? What was that work like? Well, I would say that um, you know, first to cover off after um, Memorial Day, unfortunately, I was laid off after nearly a 17 year career there. And, um, you know, it was a bit of a difficult time for us. You know, I think that this pandemic sort of went into a different direction that um, I didn't think was you know, I didn't think I was going to become one of the stats. And, um, you know, after so long, I think that, you know, you wonder to yourself, oh my gosh, you know, you go through so many feelings and, you know, 
what happened and, you know, what did I do wrong? And then am I, you know, then I was mad and then I was hurt and then I was, you know, I felt fine and then I was, then I was hurt again. And then, you know, you go through this mourning process and, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, I believe, um, you know, we went into lockdown. It was March 13th. Um, I was coming off of a very long event streak. I had been, um, you know, you basically leave, you know, right after Christmas for, you know, the event for the particular event I was working on the um, Sugar Bowl. And then we went straight into the national championship. And then I went straight to another event and then I came back and then I went back to the Grammy Awards and then I came back and then I went to a golf event. And, you know, as the day, actually it was the day after the golf event when, you know, we, it became a very serious thing when, you know, our clients were basically asked to um, not travel. And I think that's sort of where things changed. And, um, you know, my career has always been in hospitality and I've always worked in uh, corporate hospitality throughout the years and, and did a lot of um, strategy and planning with my clients and, and worked with C-level executives for a very long time. And, um, you know, once we went into this lockdown on March 13th is when we, we went in for sure. And, um, you know, things started to happen, you know, first, you know, they canceled Final Four and then they postponed the Masters and then they postponed the Open and then, you know, the U.S. Open and then things, it was just, it was this domino effect that was affecting everyone. And, you know, we sort of all had to pivot and, and, you know, try to take things digitally. And, you know, there was so much stress and we were on the phone at 8 a.m. to, you know, 8 p.m. at night and literally all day Zoom calls on how we were going to try to figure this out and basically planning for what, what we didn't know what we were planning for. You know, was it going to be three weeks? Was it going to be four weeks? And I very specifically remember saying, you know, well, in 30 days from now, we're not, you know, we'll probably be talking about dot, dot, dot. And I remember the 30 days going by and saying, I can't believe we're still having this conversation right now. Um, it became very real, very quickly. And I think, um, you know, at first, you know, we, you know, sort of went through all the steps and, you know, people had to take pay cuts and, you know, then at some point breaks and then, you know, things started to change. And, and that's when, um, you know, we were told that cuts would be coming. And, and, you know, we don't, I don't, obviously, I love Octagon. I've worked there for a very long time. I have amazing friends there and wonderful people that work there and they're all still family and, um, you know, there were just some hard decisions to make. Yeah, I appreciate you so much um, for sharing that with us. Um, your role was impacted along with so many sports and events professionals across the country and um, you were a VP and um, before March 13th, you were uh, you know, traveling back and forth across the country, um, putting on these these major events when uh, when our whole industry just 
you know, had to slam on the brakes uh, because of, of COVID-19. So can you tell us, um, you know, you shared with what, what your experience has been like. Can you tell us what are you working on now? What are your future plans? Um, what, what is that bright light for you and, um, and how are you making it through? Well, I think right now I'm going to be taking some time off, which I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, so I'm going to do that for a little while. I'm not ready yet to kind of take on the next challenge, but what I am excited about is the next challenge. I'm very excited for our next steps and, um, you know, what is going to be the next chapter in my life. And there are so many things that are, um, you know, getting my attention. And, you know, I think we talked about this a little earlier. I think that, you know, 20 years ago, if you were at an agency and you lost your job, you know, like you were probably like, okay, well, oh my gosh, you know, I, I need to get another job. Is it a corporate job? Is it agency job? Is it, you know, what's it going to be? And, and now, you know, I don't feel that. I feel I can do whatever I want. And I think that's what's so exciting. I think that um, the world is sort of at my fingertips right now. And I'm really excited for all of the, the things that, that I could potentially want to be involved in. Um, and so hopefully in a couple of months, you know, we'll be having a different conversation. Yeah. And if, if you all could see Ray right now, she is just lit up as she's talking about the possibilities of the future. And when we were chatting earlier, um, she mentioned to me one of the things that is is really lighting her up these days is she is co-president of WISE, of Women in Sports, Charlotte. And um, can you tell us a little bit more about WISE and um, how WISE works, what WISE is doing uh, in your community? Absolutely. Um, WISE Charlotte is one of the best things that I've ever been involved in. And um, it's a national chapter and um, it's about women helping other women. And there's women from all different um, walks of life in our WISE community. We have uh, people from the Panthers, um, the Charlotte Knights, the Checkers, NASCAR, um, all the different racing teams. We have a very large community and a very diverse community, which is amazing. And um, we are there to um, help empower women in the business of sports and help them get what they need to, whether it's through peer support, mentoring, professional development, training. Um, we just want women to be able to maximize their potential. And we've done several events. Um, you know, we were doing these in-person events and they've been so amazing. Uh, NASCAR is one of our founding partners and Ally is one of our partners as well. Um, we partnered with them on a financial fitness event and um, they have a fantastic group over there. Um, you know, we've had to do some digital events. So recently we did a really great event with um, Red Rocket Resin and the founder. I learned more from her within that hour than I have learned in a long time. If you can imagine, I, I mean, I've always kind of kept my resume like up to date, but I, really have not really paid that much attention to it in 17 and a half years. And I had so many questions and, um, you know, she really helped me out a lot. And I think it was so key, you know, now everything is, okay, your resume needs to look like this and you need to do your LinkedIn profile. And, you know, here's all the, the videos that you can watch. And 
Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. You could totally educate yourself for a month if you wanted to, you know, look into all the different ways that you could, you know, change how to look. So, and you can have five resumes, you know, obviously it just depends on what you're looking for. So that's been really great. We're actually, we have a part two seminar coming up um, as well this week. So I'm really excited for that. That is awesome. I, I wanted to ask you about um, what was the biggest hurdle that you overcame in your career and how did you do it? We've all had obstacles. Can you name one or two um, that really stick out to you and any lessons that you can share with, uh, with our listeners? God, I have so many. <laughs> um, I think, you know, one of the hardest things, one of the biggest hurdles I had to overcome, um, you know, pretty early on is becoming a manager. And I think the hardest part for me or for someone like me, um, you know, I'm an only child. And so I have literally spent my entire life trying to make you like me. Like I was one of those only children, you know, like I was going to make you like me and I didn't want to have conflict. And, you know, I always wanted to have lots of And, you know, when you get to become a manager, I think that was sort of the biggest, um, you know, slap in the face that was like, okay, you cannot be friends with everyone. And, um, you know, you have to learn how to resolve conflict. And I think, but most of all, I think you need to be authentic and you need to be very true to who you are. And, you know, it took me many, many years and many different ways of sort of, you know, approaching different subjects and, and situations. You know, I think being a manager means a lot of things. Um, the biggest thing for me was that it didn't mean you had to be mean. And, you know, everybody has different managing styles. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that when you want to get your point across, I don't think you need to blow somebody out of the water. I don't think you need to, like, be so hurtful that this person is never going to get over it. You know, I mean, I have heard horror stories, you know. And I've also, I mean, I've been very fortunate for the most part that I have had amazing managers amazing leaders in my life and mentors in my life. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest things that you can do when you become a manager is listen and listen to other C-level executives and listen to your manager and other managers or, or people who are, who are leading in the room. And you have to take those situations and examples to learn what it is that you like because I think the biggest thing you can say is what you don't like right you can say well I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like the way that person talks and I don't like but what is it that you do like um you know you have to remember that every single person is an individual and you have to treat people with respect and if you want to be respected you need to give respect. And I think that is one of the biggest things. You need to be patient. You need to be authentic. You need to surround yourself with strong people. You need to listen. You need to educate yourself. And I think as you do these things along the way, that is going to shape who you And that when you do become, you know, when you do kind of go up the chain and, and sort of grow, um, you know, you can, 
take those things with you because they never go away. You know, you, you always have to, you know, you're going to start at the bottom, right? And when you start at the bottom, you kind of come in thinking, oh my God, I just graduated from college. I need to be making, you know, $80,000. I'm just making, whatever the number is, you know, I need to be making this much money a year. I need to be this person. I need to do that. But, you know, do you even know how to talk to a C-level executive on the phone? Do you even know how to do some of the things that you need to know how to do? Um, you know, you have to have a little bit of grace. You need to be a little humble when you go into these situations. And I think, um, you know, we may have talked about this earlier on one of our other chats, Emily, but um, I think that, you know, one situation I can, I can clearly remember when we were working um, in the corporate world was, you know, I had a boss that wanted to dictate his notes to me. And I was so mad. I was like, I'm like, really, this guy wants to dictate his notes to me? Like, what does that even mean? You know, and I, and you know what, he called me into his office and I was like, I, you know, I'm a little busy right now. Can we do this another time? You know, I don't even remember, but it, I do remember I put him off. And I remember going home and I remember calling my father and saying, you know, I don't know, you know, he, my, you know, he asked me to, to, he wanted to dictate his notes to me. Like, I don't even know what that means. And, you know, I was really been out of shape about it. And I remember my dad sitting me down basically without sitting me down, but you know, on the phone was, was like, who do you think you are? You know, you're just a kid. You just graduated from college. I don't understand why you wouldn't do this for this man. And by the way, you might learn something. You might learn something important that he's dictating to you. So go back tomorrow, take his notes and stop being a brat. And I, I mean, I was not prepared for that answer at all. And, you know, he sort of put me in my place a little bit. So I went back the next day and I said, Hey, you know, sorry, you know, I was a little busy yesterday, but uh, sure, you know, more than happy to take your notes. And you know, my dad was right. He, I did learn something. I learned things probably I shouldn't have learned, but, you know, because I was getting the notes, you know, then I was like, oh, I have some insider information here. Okay, great. You know, <laughs> no, but um, I'm just telling that story just to say that it's some, you've got to start somewhere. I love that you shared that really highlighted humility, grace, and then at the end of it was opportunity. I mean, you saw it as, I can't believe he's asking me to do this. But in the end, it turned out that you did learn something and you did become sort of the right-hand woman to one of the most powerful people in your organization. And so I know that that served you uh, as you move forward through your career. We got to listen to our dads. They've got some great advice for us. Absolutely. And, you know, this former boss of mine became a mentor of mine and, um, you know, to the day he retired and he taught me so much that I didn't, you know, that I sort of resisted because I was like, you know, what does he know? But he knew a lot and, you know, it was a lesson learned for sure. So can you talk a little bit more about leadership? What are, um, you know, your keys to being a successful leader? Well, I would say, um, 
You know, I worked hard. I did everything that, you know, everybody asked me to do. Um, I think that I come from the school of thought that, you know, if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And, you know, there's in our industry in sports and events and entertainment, uh, we all know for a fact that there's, you know, 20 other people who will do your job and will probably do your job for nothing. So, you know, I was sort of of that school where, um, I mean, I, listen, I, I, I did crazy stuff. You know, I got cars washed. I picked up dry cleaning. I, I mean, I, I filed folders. I did whatever needed to be done, you know? And um, I think you have to just learn that you need to be the person for the job to get it done. Because sometimes, um, you know, when you're, um, in a situation and you're sort of looking around and you, you know, there's no one else. It needs to be you. And whether it's you and you do it and you have to ask for forgiveness later, then fine. But did you do the job good? You know? So I think that, um, you know, along the way you have to kind of, um, pick up those little pieces as you go and, and, you know, you need to learn to, cultivate your relationships and you need to never underestimate the power of networking no matter where you are and you always have to be kind you know I think that that's one thing too is that um, you don't know who you're talking to in line you don't know who you're talking to in the lobby of a hotel you don't know um, who you bump into um, and I think that certain situations um, could lead you to meet people, could lead you to um, have conversations with people that you never thought you would have, that could lead to other opportunities. Um, and I think for the most part, I'm a pretty positive person. Um, I, I think that positivity breeds positivity. And I think that you, um, when you are working on something and, and you know, things are, are really tense and, and things are really stressful. Um, there always has to be that person that you know that you can count on. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that you can have and create with your teams, which comes with being a leader, is trust. And I think that if you know that you can trust your team and you know that, um, that, there are all of these people that count on you. I think that you can really catch yourself, you know, sort of doing one of two things. You're either nurturing people and trying to help them understand that, you know, this is for the better or this is going to be okay, or you're not at all. And you know what? You, it's okay. You don't, you don't have to love every single person you work with or, or, you know, always have that, that relationship, but you do have to have trust. And I think that as you become a leader, one of the hardest things to do is, is to be able to identify those people that are in your group and, and, and trust the decisions that they make. And I think that once you can learn to trust, you can learn to let go.
you know, you don't always have to be the helicopter manager, you know, and, and say, okay, what are you doing? What's happening? I mean, I understand that you have to for a certain point, but then at some point you can let go. Yeah. And I, I love the, the couple of key things you identified there was the lead by example. So you're the type of leader I've found out who is not afraid to get her hands dirty and, um, you know, do whatever it is that needs to get done, but also trust the team, lead with positivity, lead with kindness, and then always be networking. I think for the leaders who are listening and the future leaders, those are incredible keys to success that Ray just unfolded right before our ears here. Um, you have said that um, you are someone who remains calm under fire. And knowing how many events you have worked and places you have traveled and things you have done, can you give us a couple examples of instances where you've remained calm under fire and how you have managed to do that? Well, Emily, I think it kind of goes back a little bit to the trust factor, right? You, um, I think you have to kind of size up your situation. <laughs> I think that that is probably, you've got to be quick on your feet, right? So if you are like stuck or frozen and, you know, you can't, you can't get to that next level, then maybe it's not for you, right? But I think that being quick on your feet is, is really important. You know, like I think one of the worst, like one of the worst things that's ever happened to me when I very first started my career was, you know, I helped put together the hospitality village for our, you know, Speedway. And we had thousands, I mean, tens of thousands of people in this hospitality village. And, you know, it would literally take a whole week for them to come in, put up tents, do all these things. And our very, it was um, one of our sponsors, it was their very first time. And they were bringing 3000 people to the event. And as this was like the day before the big event. And as I was kind of rolling around up in my golf cart up to the hospitality village over these really high winds and, you know, we had evacuated and you know, we were kind of telling everyone to take cover. And I'm not even kidding you, right before my very eyes, the tent rips right down the middle, right in half and basically flips inside out and goes flying into the air. Thank God nobody was standing around, but it was super scary. It was heartbreaking at the same time but you know what we very quickly we all got together we made decisions you know it was like okay order another tent get it rolling you know put it on the truck get it moving up here you know and by the time you know the truck got there at 12 midnight we worked all night we never went to sleep we laid the last tablecloth down on the last table right at like 7:59 when the village opened at eight o'clock and i mean we all looked like I mean, we looked terrible, but you know, we were there, we were in our uniforms, we were ready to go. Um, it was a rough night, but I think that when you are in situations like that, whether, um, you know, it's a security issue or, um, and I say security issue because I feel like that is something that comes up a lot now, you know, during big events um, is, and I know this sounds crazy, but you know, whenever I would have like a big group of people um, you know, like one of the things we'd always talk about is what if something happens? And this is just a conversation that's come up just like in the last five years, you know, like I would have never had this conversation with people 10 years ago, but now it's, what do you do if something happens? 
well, what we'll do is we will try our best to stay together. We'll go here. We'll do this. We're going to do this, you know, and I have to have that conversation. And I have to ask myself, you know, if that happens, am I going to be, uh, am I going to be calm? Can I keep this group together? And my first gut reaction is yes, I will do my best to keep everyone together and to get everyone to safety. Um, I think that you, you have to understand what your role is. You have to understand what you're capable of because if you don't know what you're made of and it takes a long time to get there, then you've still got some work to do. I love that. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing um, those stories and, and that pathway to, um, you know, finding your way to, to remain calm under fire. And um, I think that's, that's fantastic. Is, is there a certain tipping point that you can recognize in your career where you sort of made it over that, that hurdle, um, reached that position that you were looking for? And, and can you identify what that was? Well, I think, you know, all of these things sort of add up right at some point and you know you ask yourself like okay you know i want to be the best leader i want to be a really great worker i want to be a great co-worker i want to be a great listener and i want to be all these things and i want to get to the next level and then i think at some point you know i think as females also we feel that we have to like claw our way to get to the top like literally like it's like oh my god you know i mean I think that things are finally starting to change and we are finally seeing, I'm happy to be a part of the change even, you know, like I think that we're starting to finally see that bubble burst a little bit and where we do see females sitting at the table and sitting across from each other. And I think that at some point, you know, you sort of ask yourself if you're not getting what you want and you ask yourself, you know, like, what am I, you know, what can I do? What, what, how can I be better? You know, and I think that, you know, there was a time where I actually had to really look to myself and then it sort of hit me and it, it hit me really hard. It hit me so hard, it could take my breath away. And that was, I was afraid to fail. And being afraid to fail was the absolute worst thing in the world that could potentially happen to me in my mind, right? I think once you realize what is your greatest fear and what is holding you back from, you know, maybe I didn't raise my hand because I felt I had too much on my plate and then if I took that on, I was going to fail or I wouldn't speak up during a meeting because that was stupid or that I wasn't going to ask the question because nobody wants to hear from me. You know, like, I think that at some point, you know, imposter syndrome is a real thing and people talk about it now. I don't think people used to talk about it, but it is a real thing where you're like, am I, you know, good enough to be here? Can't, do I belong here at the table? And at that moment, where you literally look at failure in the eye and you just say, you will not take me down because I will overcome this. That is when you get to the next step. And um, for some people, it takes a long time. 
longer than others. For some people, it's not so long. And it's okay if it takes you a long time. You know, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. And I think, you know, we sort of had touched on this another time. And, um, you know, I think I had talked about, you know, maybe people are in the wrong role, but that doesn't mean that they can't do the job or do a job. Just because someone's not good at this doesn't mean they're not good at that. And I think that, you know, we have to, to stop for a minute and allow grievances for that, you know, and, and I think that I worked at a place where we did, where, you know, people were treated as people and, you know, there was room to go in other directions. That's the greatest thing about working in an agency is that, you know, you, you could work on so many different things and work on different accounts. And if that didn't work out, then maybe it was something else that you liked. Um, but once you look at that word failure, and maybe it's something you write down on a piece of paper that says failure and know that you can literally pick up that piece of paper and you can rip it up into a million little pieces. And if you want, you can throw it in the fireplace because it will not overcome you. That is when you will succeed. I have goosebumps from that proclamation that is so, so poignant and so important for women to hear is number one, imposter syndrome is real. And number two, a lot of the imposter syndrome revolves around that fear of failure because we've worked and we've clawed our way to that opportunity and gosh darn it, we, we are going to do the best job that we can possibly do. Um, but giving yourself permission to fail, giving yourself permission to make it a little messy sometimes because you just have to get going and that's what's going to provide the next opportunity. I'm so thrilled that you shared that. I think one more thing to add to that is sort of to your point is that, you know what, it's also okay to feel failure more than once, you know, yes. like I know everyone probably has like that one friend that, you know, probably has gone on like 30 dates. Right. And you're like, God bless. I wish I could be like that. Like seriously, you know, like that would just be like, all right, that didn't work out fine. And was not, you know, heartbroken for like a day. And then the next day was like back at it, you know? And I always wished I could be that person, you know, and not get my feelings hurt and not be like, I can't, and, you know, da, da, da. But no, I mean, you have to do it because if you don't, it will swallow you and it will take over your life. And you have, you cannot let that, you can't let it happen. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I can't believe that we have um, gotten to the end of the interview already. It's been um, so incredible talking to you and I um, would love it if you would leave our listeners with your favorite quote, because I think there is um, so much courage to be gained from, from your favorite quote uh, or turn it into a mantra for yourself. So can you share what that is for you? Absolutely. So um, I'm a big fan of Maya Angelou and she has so many amazing quotes, but there is one quote that if my team could hear me now, they're like, oh, I love this quote. But I, I love this quote because I identify with it so much, obviously working in hospitality my whole life. But um, 
The quote is, I've learned that people will forget what you said and people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So remember that. Be true to yourself. Be kind. Well, you have made us feel all the feelings. You shared your kindness with us. Um, you shared your positivity and you shared so many keys to your success. Thank you for being so generous today. And uh, we're just so grateful to have talked to Ray Cowder. Thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being on today. Wow, I love so many of the things Ray shared with us today. Let's do the top four takeaways from Ray Cowder. Number one, on management and being the best manager you can be, be patient, listen, be authentic and true. Learn from your best and worst examples. Learn the qualities that will help you to serve your team the best. Number two, on leadership, trust your team to, quote, get it done and make the decision to do the work and get the job done together. Number three, build relationships. This is the most important thing that you can do in your career. Never underestimate the power of networking. And number four, imposter syndrome is real. The single biggest hurdle in Ray's career was and has been overcoming the fear of failure. Once that was identified, Ray could stand up to failure, look it in the face and accept the challenge. Raising your hand to say, I'll take a stab at that. That's when you will win. Today's episode is sponsored by my top 10 myths about being a female leader in sports. To download your own copy of the top 10 myths, please visit my website, emilyjansen.com. I believe that if we approach our careers with intention and dedication, we can do anything. And I want to help you reach your dreams. So go ahead and head over to emilyjansen.com and download yourself a copy of the top 10 myths about being a female leader in sports. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us.